Return to the Word is made possible by faithful supporters like you. Find out more at returntotheword.com. Welcome to another edition of Return to the Word Radio with Bible teacher Mark Fontecchio. Advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. And now with today's message, here is our teacher. We are going to drop in on Colossians 3, biting off a big chunk of text, because what Paul is discussing is best seen in the entirety of his thought. Colossians 3, and we'll start with verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Before we dig into Colossians, let me tell you about a guy named Bob. Bob was born into the land of coats. His mother's favorite color was blue. So she made Bob's very first coat out of blue fabric. And every time she noticed her son and his beautiful blue coat, she would say things like, Nice coat, Bob. Good job with the coat, Bob. You look good, Bob. You see, all throughout his life, his mother just kept making blue coats for him to wear, giving him constant reinforcement that he looked good in a blue coat. Finally, Bob grew up. And one day he got a job and went to his first day of work. He put on his best blue coat that he had, and as he was walking to work, he came across a bunch of people that were all wearing yellow coats, and they looked at him funny. They didn't like blue coats. They only liked yellow coats. They made fun of him and put him down. Well, Bob, he couldn't take much of this, so he ducked into a store and bought a yellow coat. Bob put the yellow coat over the blue coat. And as he left the store, people noticed he bought a yellow coat and they were so happy. They praised him for his yellow coat and Bob felt good because he fit in and people liked his coat. Bob got to work and 
went into his boss's office to see what he'd be doing that day. And as soon as he got in there, his boss yelled at him and told Bob that the people in the office, they wear green coats, and he didn't fit in. He looked strange to them. So if Bob wanted to work there, he would need to put on a green coat. Well, Bob did. He put on a green coat, and he fit in, and people were happy with him once again at work. And on the way home, as he left work, he slipped off the green coat, and he put on the yellow coat, and then he walked home. And then Bob got home and he slipped off that yellow coat and he put the blue coat back on. And after a time, Bob got so good at changing coats, he became very popular in town. Bob just kept changing coats to fit any situation. And people liked him because he always, always fit in. And it made Bob feel good because people always liked his coat. Bob became so popular that after some time, they elected him mayor. And in his office, he had a secret coat closet that had all his different coats in it so that he could always wear the right color coat no matter who it was that came to see him. But eventually, Bob's deception caught up to him. One day, he heard a noise outside his window, and then some people pounded on his door. The people with yellow coats brought in a man who wasn't wearing any coat. They didn't like it because he didn't fit in. They wanted him gone. Well, Bob was left with the man, but then he heard the green coats gathering outside his window. They had heard that there was a man that came to town without a coat. When Bob asked the man where his coat was, the man just replied, I wear no coat. Then Bob put on his green coat and went to the window. He spoke down to the group of people that had gathered and told them that he had the situation under control. Then Bob's mom knocked on his office door telling him she had come by to see if he wanted to go out to lunch. So Bob threw on his blue coat and told her that he would have to go another time because he had to deal with the man who didn't wear a coat. Well, after she left, Bob went back to telling the man that he couldn't let him go unless he put on a coat. But the man had a question. He wanted to know what color coat he should put on. This town didn't seem to have a standard. Everyone seemed to do what was right in their own eyes. And so how was he supposed to fit in with the most amount of people? What coat would help him fit in with everyone? Bob had learned this lesson well, and so he told the man that it was a personal choice, that there was no absolute standard, no absolute right or wrong. Just pick a coat that works for you. Because for the greater good of mankind, the important thing was to get along with the crowd because one coat was just as good as the others. Absurd, isn't it? Absurd, but also an accurate description of believers in Christ fitting in with the world, living like the world. Christians changing coats in front of the people we work with, in front of our friends and family. Because some of us have gotten really good at putting on many different coats, always trying to fit in with a postmodern world. Where your truth may not be my truth, and my truth may not be your truth. Instead of living by the absolute standard of the Word of God, it's a standard that Jesus Christ wants us to live by. Take another look at verses 1 and 2. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. If 
in verse 1 is a first-class condition, meaning this is something assumed to be true. Paul was saying, since, since then you were raised with Christ. Tying this back to what he had told them in chapter 2, because Paul had already referred to the believer's union with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection meaning as believers in Christ, we are considered to be raised with Christ. And that is why we should seek those things which are above, the things of Christ. The teaching is, since God raised us with Christ and we are already as good as seated with him in heaven, we need to be seeking heavenly things. Paul's reminder that Christ is sitting at the right hand of God was meant to confront those who were attacking the very divinity of Christ. Notice in verse 2, Paul tells us to set our mind on things above, and he contrasts the things above with the things on earth. Now, the Greek shows us this is to be an ongoing condition, meaning this must be our continual focus to set our minds on all the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ, setting our minds on our hope in Christ and how our Savior wants us to live. Now, I don't know about you. But I cannot read this without thinking of the words of Philippians 4, where Paul told the church, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, Paul says, meditate on these things. The Christian faith is not just about getting a ticket to heaven and sitting back and waiting around for the Lord to return. Our focus is to be Christ. Our thoughts and actions should be on the things of God, the things that glorify Christ. Being the type of Christian who actively witnesses for Christ, being the type of Christian that sees a need and fills it, that reaches out to others in love, that looks, searches, and finds opportunities to serve Christ. We should be quite confident that the Christian faith. It does not need more people sitting back and thinking of themselves or thinking about the things of this world. The Christian faith, the church of Jesus Christ, it needs believers thinking and acting on the things of God. This world is not what matters. The Lord Jesus Christ, he, he's what truly matters. The reason is found in verse three, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This ties us back to the teaching of chapter 2, that as believers in Christ, we were identified with Christ in his death. He took our place on the cross. But there is more at the end of verse 3. Paul says, our life is hidden with Christ in God. Grasp the beauty of this teaching. For believers in Christ, not only are we identified in his death, but also in his life. Meaning, we have eternal life, not just someday. We have eternal life right now. Notice this, hidden with Christ in God, this absolutely destroys the idea that a believer in Christ can lose their salvation. Remember back in verse 1, Paul stated that Christ is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. It's pretty hard to lose this eternal life that God has given us that is hidden with Christ if Christ is sitting in heaven. In other words, think of it this way. It's pretty hard to have something of the world affect your salvation that is safely secure in Christ, who is sitting next to God the Father in heaven. 
Our life is no longer dictated by this world, but is hidden with Christ. Paul continues in verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Notice the progression here. Paul stated our life is hidden in Christ. Our forgiveness of sins, our position in Christ, our regenerated life, these things have to be taken by faith because right now no one physically sees Christ. But a time is coming when it won't be hidden. When Christ, our life, appears. The wording indicates that it is absolutely certain that Christ will appear. Appears, meaning revealed. I'm convinced that this is a reference to the rapture of the church because the revelation of who we will be for all eternity, it awaits the judgment seat of Christ, which takes place after the rapture, while the people of the earth are going through the tribulation. In 1 John 3, the apostle John put it this way, We know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall all see him as he is. It is at the rapture of the church, the bride of Christ, that believers in Christ will be with him and will be glorified. Paul wanted their focus upward. Paul wanted them to focus on the return of Jesus Christ. It is this type of thinking that led the Apostle Paul to proclaim in Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Or again, in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul told the church of Corinth, While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And then just a little further on in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, he testified again, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Focus on the things that Paul was focused on. Here was his message. Right now, Christ's glory is hidden. But in the future, when Jesus Christ returns at that time, when Christ appears, all believers in Christ will experience a visible display of their spiritual condition in Christ, meaning it won't be hidden anymore, that our life is in Christ. Praise God. So if Christ is our life and our minds and our actions are focused on the things of God instead of the things of the world, what happens then in our lives right now? Paul tells us, look at what he says in verse 5. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. Therefore, put to death, meaning put forth the effort to kill or put to death our members, used here as a metaphor to refer to the sins committed through our bodies. Paul is teaching that not only does your mind need to be centered on Christ, but so does our actions. In other words, we need to bring our actions into alignment with who we already are in Christ Jesus, living out our true identity in Christ. Paul lists it out for us. It's not an exhaustive list. Don't get the idea that just because your favorite sin isn't on this list that you're okay. Fornication is first, or immorality, which includes adultery. Anything physical outside of God's perfect plan and design of a man and a woman in marriage. Then uncleanness or impurity, passion or lust, evil desire. Notice that desire can be good or evil. Paul lists greed or covetousness next, 
which he states amounts to idolatry. Greed is wanting something that is not yours, and it becomes idolatry because it takes over and places that item above God. It is the arrogant assumption that other people and the things of this world are there for only your benefit. But then look at our next two verses, starting in verse 6. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Follow the line of thought. The sons of disobedience is an expression that Paul uses to refer to the lost. And Paul is telling the church, you were once like them. That is who you were. God's wrath is coming upon the lost. So why, as a believer in Christ, would you want to live like the dirty, rotten sinner that you used to be? Why would you want to live like a lost man that is going to face the wrath of God? The reference here to the wrath of God is probably a reference to the wrath that God will pour out during the tribulation. His wrath is waiting in the wind, waiting for his time for it to be released. But notice that his wrath is not for the church. There is no weeping and gnashing of teeth for the redeemed. There will be rewards and a loss of rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. And believers can be disciplined by the Lord in this life for our own good. But that is quite a bit different from saying believers will face the wrath of God. Before Christ, we walked or lived in the world. But now we should walk, we should live in Christ. Paul continues in verse 8. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. This list centers on the sins of the tongue, things that come out of our mouth. The term anger conveys the attitude of hostility. Now, it's true that Christ had righteous anger. It's true that there are some occasions, sometimes in the world where anger can be justified. Anger over persecution, anger over sin. But be careful. It's pretty easy to fall into sin. Wrath is in the same family as anger, but includes passionate outbursts of anger. Remember the warning of James 1 that we should be slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. God's wrath is holy. Man's wrath is typically filled with revenge. Malice is having ill will or hurting another person. Blasphemy generally refers in the Bible to speech that defies God, like using his name in vain, saying things about God that diminishes who he is. But the word for blasphemy could also be used to refer to slandering someone. Filthy language out of your mouth. This is deceptive, disgraceful, and dishonoring speech. Later on in chapter 4, Paul teaches that our speech should be with grace and seasoned with salt. Paul's saying, don't walk that gray line. Don't say that as long as you're not using the Lord's name in vain, it's okay. Our speech, it should reflect the speech of God. Let's think about it this way. If God the Son was standing in the room with you, would you still speak the words that you use? Because our words, they should reflect Christ. The way we talk should reflect the character of God. Verse 9, Paul states, Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. 
The imperative command against lying is very strong. Basically, Paul said, never, ever lie. Anything that is not the truth is a lie. Paul says, put it off because you have put off the old man with his deeds. The old self is the person you were before you were united by faith with Christ. Paul is telling us, don't live like the person you used to be. Put to death the things you used to do before Christ. Back when we first moved up to northern Wisconsin many, many years ago, we moved into an old farmhouse out in the country that we rented. Now, this was a typical farmhouse. And one of the things that we discovered was that this house, it had a lot of mice. I put out the decon, the poison, and then I sealed up any holes so more mice couldn't get in. But there was at least one mouse that would not die. He just kept coming back. One night, the kids were in bed, and my wife Angie was sleeping in a chair in the living room, and I was up reading on the couch. I looked over, and I saw our cat. His name was Mr. Tiger. Well, Mr. Tiger was coming out of the kitchen, and he had a mouse hanging out of his mouth. I was proud of our cat, happy that he got the thing. But the only problem was he was heading over to where my wife was and he looked like he was going to put it down, like he was going to give it to her, sort of like he was proud of what he had done. As the cat got closer to her chair, I started whispering over to her, trying to wake her, to tell her that Tiger, our cat, had gotten the mouse. Finally, after a couple of times of saying, Angie, 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 wake up. She kind of woke up. She looked all groggy. And then I told her that Tiger had the mouse. All that my wife heard was the word mouse. And she jumped up in her chair, screamed as loud as I've ever heard someone scream. And meanwhile, the cat, he freaks out. He drops the mouse. The mouse ran behind our couch. So I got out the broom trying to chase him out of there. And then I was going to whack him with the broom. At one point, he ran up the curtain in the living room and I tried to brush him off so I could get him. I missed and I hit the curtain rod. So the mouse, he went flying through the air and we chased him for a little while and then he ran underneath our son's bedroom door. Now, we didn't want to wake him up, but he was only a couple of years old at that time. But the mouse, it was right by his bed and was looking like he was eyeing up his bed. So we went in after him. We chased him around in there for a while, and after all that, he went down the heat register. Well, for about a week or two, I knew that mouse was still alive because our cat, oh, he would stare. He would stare down the heat register. And once in a while, the mouse would come out just a little bit and then run back in. Well, one day, we were eating lunch, and I looked over, and I saw the mouse sitting out in the middle of the kitchen floor, way away from the heat register, and the broom it was right next to me. So I slowly got up and I grabbed the broom and I smashed that mouse. I grossed out my entire family who was trying to eat lunch. But after I killed it, do you think I kept that mouse? Do you think I put him on the mantle? Do you think that I hid him away so I could reflect back on the good old days? I threw that mouse out way, way out into the field because I had killed it and I didn't want it around anymore. And this is exactly what Paul is telling us, that our attitude towards sin should be. 
The person we were before Christ is no more. So why would you want to continue to live like the person you once were? Paul is calling for us to die to sin and to live for Christ. Read the last part of verse 9 with me again. Since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. The old man, who you were before you came to faith in Christ, has already been put to death when you became a Christian. The new man is our life as a child of God. This is what Paul was referring to in 2 Corinthians 5.17, where he said, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Before our faith in Christ, we lived under an old master, Satan. But the new man has a new master, the Spirit of God living within. This is not a command to put off the old man and put on the new man. If you are in Christ, this has already been done. When you trusted Christ as your Savior, God put the new man on for you. The word for new means something that did not exist before. Listen, the problem these Christians had was the same as us. At the moment of salvation, we became a new creation in Christ, but our old nature, our sin nature, our flesh, it is still there. Which is why Paul said in Galatians 5.13, For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. Live it out. Live like the old man was put to death in Christ. And it starts with the end of verse 10. The new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. It's Romans 12, verse 2, all over again. The renewing of your mind to be conformed to the mind of Christ. Growing in your walk, living like the new man should be living, more and more like the creator. But it starts with the renewal of the mind, and this cannot happen unless you spend time in the Word. Verse 11 in your text. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Here's the point. It's not the earthly distinctions that makes you acceptable to God. Greek nor Jew a reference to nationality and race, circumcised or uncircumcised, Jews and Gentiles, barbarian or Scythian. Remember that the Roman Empire adopted the Greek culture. They viewed themselves better than the rest of the world. A barbarian was someone whose language was foreign. And to those that knew Greek, they said it sounded unintelligent, like they were babbling. Barbarians were anyone that did not adopt the Greek culture and language, but the Scythians were worse. These were the lowest of the barbarians, nomadic invaders from the Caspian and Black Seas. These were a brutal people, a violent people, decapitating others in battle, drinking the blood of their dead enemies, skinning the people they killed, using the skin for handkerchiefs, and the skulls of human heads would be turned into cups to drink from violent people, the worst of the world. But then notice Paul contrasts the slave and the free man. You see, the point of all this is that whatever your ethnic background, whoever you were before Christ, whether you are free 
or are a slave. These things are no longer our focus because Christ is all and in all. Christ indwells every believer. And so think of the teaching. Whoever you were before you came to faith in Christ, it did not matter because the path to becoming more like Christ for every single one of us, it's the same. It's renewing the new man with the word of God. Notice the teaching that comes out of this starting in verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Paul addresses the believers as the elect of God, holy and beloved. Paul was reminding the church of their position in Christ, who they were. That they were set apart from the world by God and reminding them of the love that God has for them. By Paul reminding them of who they were in Christ, it was meant to encourage them to grow in their walk, to live for Christ instead of living like the old man. Notice how the new man should live, putting on tender mercies, or as the New American Standard puts it, a heart of compassion. It's being sensitive towards those who are suffering or those who are in need. Kindness is the disposition that should be reflected when we deal with other people. Humility is having a realistic view of yourself. Meekness is the opposite of being harsh or arrogant. It's more than just gentleness, as some translations put it. It involves gentleness, but it includes being humble, but strong. Another way of putting it would be to say strength subdued. It takes a strong person to keep from showing their strength. Long-suffering includes the idea of patience, but it means more. It means the opposite of revenge but it has the idea of fortitude, the willingness to suffer for the sake of the other person. Bearing with one another, it means to put up with, to endure. It conveys the idea in the Greek of standing erect while enduring the burdens imposed by others, or being able to put up with others, tolerating others. Our culture we live in, it's all about self and our own comfort. Bearing with one another is greatly needed in the ministry and fellowship of the saints. Forgiving one another. The world honors revenge. Christ honors forgiveness. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Paul is talking about Christians forgiving Christians. People make mistakes. If someone does something to you that offends you, you need to forgive even without them asking. Christ's example of forgiveness is our pattern. We should follow his example by being forgiving. It could be that the other person didn't even know that you were upset. Maybe you just heard something wrong. It could even be a miscommunication or even if someone did actually sin against you, be quick to forgive. If you hold on to that sin that someone else did against you and become bitter, now you are the one in sin. Remember, forgiving someone does not mean we have to trust them. Trust is earned over time, but forgiveness, it should be free. The path forward to having strong families, the path forward to having strong churches is men and women walking in love, in forgiveness, because their eyes are fixed on Christ.
But when you get your eyes off of your own walk, when you start to focus on someone else, growth becomes replaced by bitterness. You will not grow by watching someone else and looking at their problems. And Paul drives this home by saying in our last verse, but above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. This section is all about how we deal with the people around us, especially within the body of Christ. And notice with me, all these characteristics that Paul mentions here are qualities that put the needs of the other person first. We like to think of our own needs, but Paul says, be humble, be kind, compassionate, forgiving, patient, and love the other Christians in our lives. Love the other people in our lives. Love tops it all off. Love ties all these things together. If you truly have the love of Christ pouring out of you, then all these things will be the fruit of the Spirit in your life as you walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Back on April 17th of 1964, a unique event took place in the United States. On that day, the Ford Mustang came onto the market. On that day, a Mustang had been chosen as the pace car for a stock car race in Huntsville, Alabama. When it drove onto the track, Thousands of people literally climbed over the retaining wall to get a better look at it. And they had to delay the race for over an hour. On that same day, a cement truck crashed through the plate glass window of a Seattle Ford dealer when the driver lost control of his vehicle. The reason? He was staring at the new Mustangs on display. A Chicago dealer was forced to lock the doors of his showroom models because too many people were trying to get into them at the same time. A Texas dealer put a new Mustang on a lift to show a prospective buyer the underside of the car. By the time the demonstration was over, the showroom was so filled with people, they had to leave the Mustang in the air all day long. A New Jersey Ford dealer had only one Mustang and he had 15 buyers. So he auctioned it off. And the winner of the car insisted on sleeping in the car to make sure the dealer didn't sell it to someone else before the man's check cleared. Why? Why so passionate about a car? This was the car they wanted to have. It stood for everything they wanted in a car. And the love, listen, and the love they had for that car, it caused them to change. Where is your passion? You can tell by what you spend your time on, your money. What is it that you spend time thinking about? That's where your heart is. It's so easy to see the problems in others, but we are blinded when it comes to ourselves. We are blinded and not able to even recognize that we have drifted in our own walk with Christ. Pride blinds us when we get caught up in the world. Pride blinds us when we drift from Christ. Set your heart, focus steady upon the Lord. Renew your mind in his word. Walk in the spirit, yield to the spirit. And as Christ works in you, live for him. Live to serve others. Live to serve the one and only Lord Jesus Christ. Before we close out, I want to thank you for listening. And if you want to keep current with our studies, there's a lot of ways to make sure that you never miss another episode. 
You can subscribe by email. You can get our free app for your tablet or phone. You can also use the Apple Podcast app or one of the Android apps and have all of the episodes delivered right to your mobile device. You can find all of the links on our webpage, returntotheword.com, underneath the podcast tab. And if you have a minute, help us out by sharing this episode on Twitter or Facebook, because by telling others, you help us to tell the world of God's amazing grace. Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com, or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879-259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687. Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Join us next time for another edition of Return to the Word.